everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. So what's the blues in the news this week? I'm sorry, the blues in the news? Everything we talk about has been kind of a bummer lately. <laughs> All right, well, I have some good news for you. This actually isn't a bummer. Okay, well, what are we talking about? We are actually going to be talking about UBI, or Universal Basic Income. Wait, really? We're going to talk about UBI? Yeah. We're talking about a recent story about like a UBI experiment that went on. Yes! Finally! (laughs) I'm not excited at all. I had a feeling you would be happy about this. It's not like I literally tell all of my friends and any human being with a pulse that I was Yang Gang 2020 or that I think UBI is... Is Okay, first of all, it's hilarious because of everything that's been going on, how much we need UBI. You thought UBI was like this thing we're just going to need in the future eventually when AI came to take our jobs. And then this whole year happened and everyone was like, that makes sense. (laughs) And we will get to that. But first, I thought I'd cover a recent experiment that just concluded in Canada. Of course, Canada. Of course, they're always ahead of the curve on us. <laughs> they like they just look across the borders. Like, what are they thinking about doing in ten years? Let's just do that now. Yes. <laughs> All right. Do you want me to get into it? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Well, as I mentioned, a Canadian charity recently concluded a universal basic income pilot program they created that gave people who were recently homeless a one-time cash transfer of seventy-five hundred dollars. Now, the study is called the New Leaf Project, and it was done by the Foundations for Social Change, a Vancouver-based charity, and they also partnered with the University of British Columbia. How the program worked was that they identified 115 people between 19 and 64 years old who'd recently become homeless, and they also screened these individuals to make sure they didn't have any significant substance abuse or mental health issues. They then randomly chose 50 of the 115 people to give $7,500 to and followed all 115 people for a year, interviewing them every three months on things like their living situation and their spending habits. And then at the end of the 12 months, they compared the group who received the money versus those who didn't. And they found some pretty surprising things, like those who were given the money largely spent it on food, rent, and transportation – And that spending on alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs reduced by an average of 39%. They also found that those in the cash group spent less days in homelessness, retained an average of $1,000 in savings, and had greater food security. And for anyone who's thinking, oh, well, that's great, but how will the local government, like, ever afford a program like this? The researchers also calculated that the cash payment group saved the shelter system about $8,100 per person over the year. That is super cool. It was a little messed up to hear. They saw a bunch of homeless people and only gave half of them money. But I also get it. Like, that's how science works. You want to have a control group. Mm -hmm. I like how that last point, the point about how not having to take care of them And just giving them the money is actually cheaper than having to take care of them. That's a big reason why people are such big fans of UBI as a actual, at the very least, like a social safety net. This idea that when you give people money, you're trusting them to know what they need in a way that you really never could. Yeah, exactly. And some of the things they found of spending on drug and alcohol or stuff related to that was actually lower in the people who got cash versus those who don't, and that the people who got cash were able to save money 
that's also points toward the argument people have for UBI is that people know what they want to spend money on and they're not just going to blow it on like fun things. And, you know, they're not just going to spend the money wildly. They're going to actually spend it on rent and food and such like that. Yeah. I mean, a common problem with homelessness is not that people don't know how to spend money. It's that people don't have money to spend on the things that could bring them out of homelessness. This is similar to housing first. I know California and a few other places in the United States have been trying this, but effectively just giving the homeless people housing first, like Mm -hmm. just make them not homeless first and give them a safe space that they consider their own. That gives them the mental capacity and stability to handle things like wanting to find a job or wanting to do something that is actually enriching and not just survival and also helps fight addiction. And so I'm glad to see that we're seeing a lot of that same stuff here where just giving people money helps them come out of this impoverished space. Yeah, and I do want to actually give some caveats to this study. So first of all, all the participants were recently homeless And they were interviewed before being in the study to not have any significant substance abuse or mental health issues. That means that you may not be able to generalize these results to the overall homeless population. And also the study involved four groups. They had two with cash and two without cash. But three of the four groups were provided workshops on things like making a personal plan or self-affirmation exercises. And one of the cash groups also included personal coaching. So the comparison of cash versus no cash was really between two cash groups that had some extra workshop help compared with two non-cash groups where one of them had workshop help and the other one did not. I imagine that information is also very valuable. But the point about them being newly homeless I actually find very interesting because in at least the United States, if not in many places around the world, Being middle class or impoverished often means you're a paycheck away from being homeless. Mm -hmm. One missed paycheck could be the difference between you having an apartment and not having an apartment because a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. So I think that's actually a very important thing to keep in mind here is because they're newly impoverished, we're seeing that a lot of people who might be becoming homeless right now because of, you know, COVID and not being able to have a job because they're furloughed are people who could be saved by programs like these. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I mainly wanted to point out these caveats because I don't want anyone listening to this story think, oh my goodness, this study proved that UBI works. Why are we not doing UBI everywhere? What's going on? And it's not quite like that. When it comes to science, you usually have to do a lot of smaller programs and experiments that are really specialized before you can get to the big question of does this thing work universally. So this study is just a good stepping stone in that direction. And to your point, this is a very pointed study. I mean, here the goal is to fight homelessness. But UBI, it can have implications well beyond just homelessness to do I have job fulfillment? Do I have leverage to, if I'm in an abusive situation, leave that situation? There are lots of different ways UBI can play out that – make it hard to study all of the implications of just giving people money. So the fact that here their focus was specifically newly homeless people, making them not homeless by whatever standard they're considered homeless, was the core objective of the study. Yes. And actually, I think this is a good moment where we can transition to a broader discussion on UBI. I thought I could pick your brain a little bit about UBI, and then maybe we could go into some examples of some other UBI experiments happening. That would be awesome. What would you like to know first? I have lots of opinions for and against, mostly for. 
All right. Well, before we get to that, how about you just explain kind of the general concept behind UBI? So the core of UBI is saying everyone as a product of existing and contributing to a society should be entitled to a baseline level of living. And mm -hmm. an easy way to accommodate this is to just give people money. I've seen lots of iterations that tie to some measure of GDP or just overall economic wealth or some sort of living standard of that country. Okay, so like giving people money but not so much money that it kind of ruins the economy? Yeah, the goal isn't to give everyone a six-figure salary, although that would be awesome. The goal is to give people enough money that they feel economically stable. So people who are living paycheck to paycheck, suddenly now they have a little bit more money that at the very least they could put away. The beauty of UBI is it doesn't disincentivize working. A lot of people claim the problem with UBI is that if you just give people money, they won't want to work. But there's been a lot of research to show that UBI actually gives people the ability to wait until they find the work that they find meaningful. Instead of having to worry about finding a job that meets your specific degree, giving up and then going to work at 7-Eleven in this incredible straw man argument, I admit, <laughs> All right. you have the resources and stability to hang out, continue to apply for jobs, and then hopefully find the job that it might not pay the most money, but at least it's a job that you feel fulfilled in. Yeah, I could even see that working where now people having the extra cushion could do jobs that they enjoy more. I think that's what you're getting at. But going into industries that normally don't pay a lot of money, but now that you have that extra cushion, oh, I'm going to go into that industry because I like it more, even though I'm not getting the larger salary from the other one. Yeah, and a lot of the time, UBI is typically not tied to a household, it's tied to individuals, with the exception of how do you handle UBI for children. Mm. Different countries handle that differently, where maybe they will pay the household a certain amount of money per child, which would introduce its own can of worms, or they'll pay each individual X amount of dollars, typically when they reach a certain age. And this is really important to keep in mind, because the fact that you're always getting this money means in a way, you always have a certain degree of economic independence. So if you find yourself in an abusive situation where you might be working at a company you don't like or you might have an abusive partner or be in a negative situation, you don't have to worry about leaving that situation and then losing your economic dependence. You suddenly have a way to leave that person while still having a way to pay for a place to live or for food. Huh. I, I didn't even think of a situation like that. That's interesting. Yeah. And then my favorite thing about UBI is probably the thing that a lot of people get most concerned with, which is the ability to do away with lots of social programs. Mm. Because at least in the U.S., we've seen many social programs are typically tied to, in some ways, lifting a certain population out of poverty, but not others, which they enforce through incredibly unreasonable requirements on how long you have to have been working, looking for work. Things that allow you to give everyone a certain amount of baseline income for a certain period of time, like welfare. But often people who are black or Hispanic can find themselves in situations where suddenly they don't seem to meet the criteria to get these benefits. Likewise, those social programs are often very partisan and can be designed to only benefit certain people. And most obnoxious of all, they're not consistent from state to state. I imagine a lot of people who have been filing for disability or unemployment since COVID happened are finding that their states are not as generous as other states. 
But UBI implies that every person in the country is receiving the exact same amount of money at the same increment. And we've seen that in a way UBI can be implemented in the United States based on the relief package where the people with the lowest amount of income were the people who received the most money per month because people who made more money or had more stable jobs probably didn't need it. I think what you bring up is that a lot of the social programs have been designed with the mindset that if people were just given a blank check and just given the money right away, then they may not spend it wisely. So that's why you have programs that are very specialized, like SNAP is to make sure the money is spent just on groceries. And unemployment is meant to make sure you're looking for work. Yeah. Actually, a big benefit to UBI is the fact that you're getting it no matter what. So a lot of arguments for giving people unemployment say, well, you're unemployed, so we'll give you X amount of money. But a lot of the times when they start working, the amount of money they're making working isn't actually as much as they would have been getting if they're just unemployed. So it can actually incentivize people to stay on unemployment longer to get more money so they can at least hold on to their current standard of living. The flip side is with UBI, because you're always getting this money, regardless of the circumstance under which you find yourself unemployed, you're still getting that money. And when you start working, you're still getting that money. Hmm, okay, I see your point there. And again, it's very strange to assume you know better than someone because let's be honest, you, the listener, probably know more about what it's like to be of a lower income level than anyone that is writing any of these programs. Mm. That is just a simple truth. If you look at most politicians in America and many politicians around the world, they are typically very well off, which means that they often end up writing legislature about things and circumstances they do not have a frame of reference for. So instead of foolishly trying to tell people this is how and where you should be spending your money – just giving them the money and expecting them to understand their circumstance is a better investment. That's interesting. There's almost a psychological shift in how people think about UBI versus social programs. Yeah. And it also introduces a layer of trust that's showing that your government trusts you with this resource that they are giving you. And on top of all that, a lot of people wonder where you would get money to pay for UBI. And a lot of the times it comes from doing away with a lot of these other social programs that are extremely pointed mm. and don't benefit everyone. So you can get rid of them and all the bureaucracy that goes along with them and use that money to continue to pay for UBI. And I'm not saying that all social programs are bad. Every social program exists for a reason. But this gives us a way to, I guess, cut the chaff. Is that the expression? Cut the chaff? I don't, I don't think know. so. I think it has to do with farming. I'm not a farmer. <laughs> Okay. It gives us a way to start reducing bureaucracy without leaving everyone out in the cold. Okay. All right. I think I follow along with that. That's interesting. Now, how about we get into some UBI experiments that are going on? And this is where you tell me everything I just told you is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it. No, I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> All right. The first one I want to bring up is Alaska because I didn't know this until I started researching for this story. But Alaska already has a UBI program. Yes, it does. Ooh, so you knew about this? Yes. If I recall, is it $1,000 a year? I think it's $1,200. It, it fluctuates. Yeah, I know. It, I was trying to remember what the most recent number was, but it's... A fixed amount per year, if I recall. Yes. And to give some background on it, Alaska's had a UBI program since 1982, and it's called the Alaska Permanent Fund Dividend, 
where every Alaskan gets an annual check. And it turns out that Alaska takes 25 percent of its revenue from mines, oil and gas reserves and deposits it into an investment fund. So the interest from that fund is divided among Alaskans every September. Okay, so this next part is going to sound like wacky conjecture, and I apologize, but I've heard different reports of like this starting out as a part of the Cold War to incentivize more people to move to Alaska because the closest part of Russia to the U.S. is the space between Russia and Alaska. What? In 82? Cold War was still happening. Gorbachev did not tear down the wall yet. Wow, that's a good point. Why do I always forget that? I mean, that's that's just one of many, many reasons. That's a weird thing about any law or policy is that it can come from many places. And I don't want to submit that as like the de facto reason. But <laughs> effectively, you're right. A large part of it comes from the fact that a lot of people who live in Alaska probably aren't directly involved in those specific industries. But those industries are still benefiting from Alaska. So this kind of helps level the playing field for citizens. A little bit. It is a pretty cool idea because what they do is because Alaska makes so much revenue from this oil and mining and gas mining and all the other stuff, they're investing that revenue into investment funds and then decided with the money we're gaining from that investment fund, we'll just divide it amongst the Alaskan citizens. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. And it's also, I think, one of the strongest arguments for we should just kind of have this at this point. A bit, yeah. One thing I want to mention, because it is tied closely to the oil industry, when oil prices dropped in 2015, that actually caused the check that was given to every Alaskan to be reduced. And so that led to some pretty interesting politics happening in Alaska. See, I like that on the one hand because it makes you evaluate how you're letting your state or country be used, right? Mm. If you're allowing an industry that is weirdly destructive and not really giving a lot back to the communities in which it is affecting to operate in your country, it might incentivize you to re-examine that relationship because you're saying you come to my country and literally rip up the land and then take it and give it to other people for money. First of all, I feel like some of that comes to me because it might not be my land, but it's our country. We. <laughs> this is the the most communist statement I'll make about America. I was about to say, you keep saying a country like Alaska is its own country. I'm not saying Alaska is its own country, but there are a lot of countries around the world that have this problem where large industries basically come into the country, start mining any resource they can get their hands on, And at best, we'll pay the government to keep that situation going in the company's favor. Uh, You can think of diamond mining, coal mining, any sort of ore you can imagine in Africa. This is a very common problem there where typically a lot of dictators will get paid a lot of money to give companies access to resources. Okay, that makes sense. But we live in a democracy, so we get the money. (laughs) I was about to say, and with that weird downer, you want to talk about another (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Okay, so the next one I want to talk about is a program going on in Stockton, California. So Michael Tubbs, the mayor of Stockton, has been a major advocate for UBI, and he was actually inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. And he's been running an experiment in Stockton called SEED that gives low-income households $500 a month to help reduce poverty and inequality. And this experiment was supposed to wrap up earlier this year, but they ended up extending it because of COVID-19. And so the mayor of Stockton, Michael Tubbs, he's actually a pretty cool dude. 
He also started a group called the Mayors for Guaranteed Income, which has 17 mayors signed on. It's basically a coalition that they're all committing to start these UBI-like programs in their areas. And there's also a documentary about him on HBO called Stockton On My Mind, which I haven't checked out, but still, that's pretty cool. I will be watching that as soon as we're done recording. (laughs) That's really cool. And it kind of goes back into that idea of if you want to help the impoverished not be impoverished, just give them money. Yeah. And actually, I wanted to bring this up. One thing that he's been advocating for is really doing guaranteed income programs instead of straight UBI programs. So guaranteed income being giving money to low income people instead of a more traditional UBI being giving the same amount of money to everyone. So, yeah, I can see problems with that idea based on this goes back into the territory of, well, now my new job is technically making me less money than my old job. So it's a balancing act of making sure that the fall off for UBI doesn't disincentivize work. Mm. But at the same time, I completely agree with that because something that every single politician has talked about but no one has done anything about is the fact that 1% of 1% of our country owns 99% of the every thing. And that is the one thing you hear all the time. But this is one very simple, very tangible way to start moving that in the opposite direction. Yeah. Start getting rid of some of the massive inequality that's in the U.S. and around the world, frankly. Yeah. And the thing to think about here is if you think about how much money we're talking about, $500 a month for someone who's extremely well off, there is a higher likelihood that the impact they feel month to month from an extra $500 is minuscule compared to the amount it could help an impoverished family. Mm -hmm. $500 a month could be all the groceries for that month, or it could be a new pair of shoes and clothes that the kids need for school. It could be any number of things that that family will get a lot more utility out of and will help ideally bring them out of poverty. And it's weird to say out of poverty because technically poverty is a standard that is subjective to every country. But the goal of helping people have and maintain long-term wealth is improved when those people don't have to worry about the basics. At least if not bringing someone out of poverty, it's giving them a little bit of cushion. So if a severe situation comes up, they have that cushion to spend money on. So kind of a thing you said before is like a lot of people are one disaster away from being homeless. It would prevent that so that, oh, if my car suddenly broke down or, oh, I lost my job abruptly and I can't pay rent now, then you would have that little bit of cushion to get you by until you could figure something out. Yes. All right. Do you want to hear about another program? Yes. Okay. So in Germany, the German Institute for Economic Research just started an experiment where they're giving 120 people 1,200 euros every month for three years. They'll be compared to a control group of 1,380 people who are not receiving the money. And the person who's doing this experiment basically said the whole reason they're doing this experiment is to have concrete evidence of whether UBI works or not. Okay, there's two weird things about that. One, UBI experiments always kind of feel a little cringe to me because you're leaving one vulnerable population without this extra bump of money. I wish I'd hear at the end of this experiment, we will then give the other population a lump sum equal to that. So at least they can get (laughs) a little bit of that love. But the other thing is when you say UBI works or not, I'm always immediately skeptical of what is working for you? What works with air quotes? I haven't looked up the specifics of what they're actually measuring, but I know some people have used metrics of Will unemployment decrease or will like homelessness decrease or will 
insert another measure of poverty here. So something funny I don't think a lot of Americans know about is one of the first people to try a UBI experiment was Nixon. Really? Yeah. In 1969, Nixon was actually on the verge of implementing a basic income for poor families plan in America. And in the process of doing so, he gave families of four $1,600 a year or about $10,000 in 2016 money a year as an experiment to see what the impact of UBI would be. And they considered it a failure for one prominent reason being because a lot of those four-person families kind of broke up because suddenly the economic independence given to the wife made her reevaluate the relationship. Really? Yeah. Huh. And there were many outcomes of UBI that were considered negative based on partisan lines. Things like, oh, this is going to make the family lazy, even though that's mostly conjecture. Oh, this is going to break up nuclear families. I believe there's a higher divorce rate among families included in the experiment. Okay. But if you look at the results, and they were, this is probably terrible experiment etiquette, but they were looking at results during the experiment, not waiting until after and making snap decisions then before fully understanding the implications of what went into it. And they were seeing things that based on very partisan views they did not like, like a higher divorce rate. Or I believe it was they said a 9% decrease in average income because people didn't feel the same need to work, which led to comments of laziness and all these things that they didn't actually do a good job controlling for during their experiment. And even researchers say after the fact that that 9% number was probably way exaggerated compared to the actual drop-off if there was any. See, this is funny because it reminds me of a study that happened in Finland I was going to bring up, which they actually had an experiment in 2017-2018. And one thing that was kind of a knock against the experiment is that it didn't actually reduce the unemployment rate. But something it did find is that people receiving the UBI generally reported better financial well-being and mental health than those not receiving the payments. I think that may be an excellent place to end this discussion because the thing about UBI is not just giving people money. The goal isn't to make everyone rich. The goal is to make everyone sane. Mm -hmm. The goal of UBI is to say you are a human being who deserves dignity and you should not have to do things you're not comfortable with or end up in circumstances you're not comfortable with because of something like money. Having good mental stability and a feeling of financial security is invaluable because it can have lots of bleed over effects where suddenly your mental health is helping improve your physical health. You're taking more time to find jobs that are meaningful. Lots of these spillover effects that are beneficial to your state and society as a whole that go beyond just, well, are you going to be making enough money and are you going to become richer and not unemployed? Yeah, good mental health is just good for society, period. And on top of that, the amount of money you end up saving from these spillover effects help pay for UBI. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. And yes, I think that's a great place to wrap up. So if you enjoyed this episode and would like to convince your congressman or state representative <laughs> or whatever to do UBI and they tell you no, just tell them that Nixon did it. And do you want to be less progressive than Nixon? Wow. <laughs> All right. Real quick, I did want to mention that the Foundation for Social Change that did the Canadian UBI experiment we talked about at the beginning of this episode, they're currently fundraising to expand their study. So if you or someone you know would like more info on that, you can go to their website at forsocialchange.org donate. And I'll also have the link in the show notes along with all of my sources for this episode. Big thank you to everyone who's been leaving us feedback, giving us ratings. We've gotten a weird amount of Podbean feedback. Oh, really? 
really? That Vince thing. Yeah, most of it positive. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with anyone. And if you can go the extra mile and leave us a review, that would be awesome. Sam, it's always good to know that I can just look down in the show notes and see all those good, good notes so that I can prove that there are actual sources here and I'm not just talking out my butt. <laughs> yes. And thank you, Scott, for editing this episode, making us sound good as always. Yes. He is the true unsung hero of this show. And you can find all of his information in the show notes. Till next time, I've been Cameron reminding you that everyone deserves money and I'm very passionate about this topic. <laughs> you can definitely at me at Wildcard Cameron on any social media. You can very much at me about UBI. I will respond. <laughs> all right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.